Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. This is your host, Coach Todd Halls. I am so grateful to be here. And listeners, I'm grateful for you tuning in. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. I'm excited uh, for today uh, as, as I get to uh, learn more uh, about our guest. I know you're going to find amazing value in this today. We have with us Mark Scamente, and Mark is a fractional COO. He's an executive coach. Uh, most recently, he's a system and soul business coach, so a fellow system and soul coach. He uh, lives in the Evanston, uh, Illinois, like greater Chicago area with his amazing wife of 20 years and their two daughters. And everything that we didn't need to know beyond that is going to be shared with us by Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Todd. It's, it's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Fantastic. So as I, as I, was there anything I left out that you think, you know, the listeners should know this going in? I think that's the important stuff. I'm, I'm eager to hear your questions, but that's, if you want to summarize my bio, I think that's a good way to get started. The importance of my family and what I do. Cool, cool. So fractional COO, if we could, let's let's start by just unpacking what exactly is that? What's it look like? How long have you been doing it and how'd you get there? Yeah. So fractional COO, for those who may not know, and most people are starting to find out about it, it's I'm a regular old COO, only I, I work part-time for multiple companies at once, at least in theory. And so the difference between that and being a consultant, for example, is that I'm, it's an operational role. I'm, I'm in the org chart. I'm on your team. I'm operating as if I were a full-time employee. I'm just doing it part of the time. So as a COO, you know, it's all the operational stuff. It's systems, processes, teams, it's management, it's coaching. And I usually work with small to medium-sized businesses, minimum of $2 million in sales up to 50 million, million in sales. And usually it's a founder-led business that is plateaued and looking to get to the next level of growth and they need some system and some structure to make that happen. And I've been doing that for three years. And part of that, um, I also do EOS integration work. So, you know, EOS integrator is, is often an operations person. EOS is a business operating system. I know you know it, Todd. I don't, I don't know how, how much your audience knows it, but it's a very popular business operating system. And as an integrator, you're sitting in the chair, you're, you're interacting between, uh, with a visionary and, um, and his leadership team or her, her leadership team. And you are 
they are conducting the meetings and implementing, well, in, in many cases, the self-implementation case, uh, self-implementation, so you're kind of implementing the system and executing it at the same time. Okay, cool. So uh, three years, how did, how did you find yourself as a fractional COO? And COO, uh, I went to chief operating officer or a chief operations officer. Just make it, yeah. just want to make sure that there wasn't yeah, yeah. other, uh, no, no, no. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, right. Tell us, um, because so what comes to mind is for, to be the chief of operations in a small business and to come in and fill that role on a fractional basis. Um, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of trust there, right? That's a pretty that's a p- pretty key role in an organization. Mm-hmm. So somewhere before the three year ago mark, there's and when I say mark mark mark, uh, but somewhere before that point in in time, there's some history that that makes you uniquely qualified to say, hey, I can fill this gap for you and really make a tremendous impact in your business. So how did you how did you find yourself in that role? Right. So I was in online retail for twelve years. And I worked for one company during that time. We sold musical instruments online. And this is really where my career in operations as an operations executive began. I could, I could go back and tell you a little bit more about my, my history, if you'd like. Um, or let's start, let's, I could, let's start here. I'll stick. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll stick with this. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, a company, uh, a pure play retailer, online retailer, and it had grown to about 50 million in sales and stagnated there. And the founder of CEO was looking for somebody uh, to really take over the operation and take it to the next level. He was he was done with that part of the, his journey. He was uh, preferred to be modeling in his, his office. That's the thing that he was really good at, data modeling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, anyway, so... I, it was really a, an opportunity of a lifetime in many ways. Um, I knew somebody who was working there, and I had been working for myself. And it seemed kind of random at the time, but um, you know, I I started out as a business process analyst, uh, negotiating a tricky situation where the founder CEO was was held hostage by uh, his chief systems architect, who had rebuilt the system that he had originally built himself and he didn't know where anything was anymore. So I had to negotiate that, that transfer of knowledge and, uh, you know, technical regime. And I think I earned his confidence that way and his trust. And so then he said, all right, you're my guy. I've been looking for a guy to be sort of my right-hand man and you're it. And, you know, the first, the first job beyond that business process analyst role was, in the marketing and publications department. So we had a, we had a, an online content site in the music year industry. Uh, we, you know, we did reviews and, and product demos and things like that. And, you know, we had a merchandising team and, and we did catalogs, we did all that kind of stuff. Anyway, long story short, I, um, that was my first job. And then I inherited the, the operations role about a year later. Um, and, and so I just kind of t- kept taking on more and more responsibility. The company didn't have any real structure or process to it. And that was one of the first things that I recognized. So I, I introduced Agile Scrum as a, as a, uh, 
through the project management process. I got my Scrum Master certification. I became the first Scrum Master as soon as I, I could. There's a lot of hands-on stuff. So as soon as I could, I handed it off to somebody else, built a product management team around that because I had done some of that work myself. And uh, we built everything in-house. We built all of our software in-house for you know better and worse. So, um, but that kind of got us going. And you know now we had a, a way to plan. And we had uh, a way to prioritize work and do all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the call center was another piece. Uh, that guy got fired and he's like, okay, that's your, that's your job now. And I've never, I'd never done call center work before. Um, but he was like, just go figure it out, you know? So uh, that's what I did. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time sitting with everybody, you know, learning what they did, watching what they did. We looked at a lot of data. You know, in e-commerce in general and in a call center, you've got lots of data to look at. So we restructured things. We restructured the, the incentive plan, um, how, how performance is measured. We had a pretty complex algorithm for, for evaluating performance and for scoring performance, which was related to compensation. We had all that kind of stuff, a lot of re-engineering. Um, there had been a lot of high turnover when I started and a low morale. In fact, the year before I started in the, uh, running the call center, uh, there was over a hundred percent turnover. And, and so, so you know, like we hired 30 people and we lost 31 yeah. in that year. That's amazing. So, you know, and these were typically young people, first job out of college musicians, um, who, you know, this is their day job and they were still gigging and, um, pursuing their musical dream. So anyway, we managed to turn that around and, you know, over, over time. So once we kind of got all the pieces in place and it was a place and it was a lot of right people, right seats. It was, um, you know, it was having processes. It was building teams. It was restructuring teams, uh, developing the infrastructure and then the strategy and then executing the strategy. We grew. And so we grew from, our low point of 40 million in 2010 so that, you know, we had a little lag after the credit thing that hit us. Yep. And then we, we, we went to 140 million uh, by 2018. So we had, we saw a hundred million dollars in, in sales growth and, you know, it, it, it took the whole team to do that. And it took a really good strategy to do that. Um, but for me, it was, it was a great, it was a great opportunity and, and I, I built the teams that did that. And, you know, I built the, the, um, I hired the directors and, um, a lot, we, we had a policy or a, really, a an approach of promoting from within. So we, we had a lot, a lot of talented young people that we developed over time, coached and found places for them. So they moved all over the, the organization with it, you know, digital marketing which we did in-house SEO, which we did in-house um, or analytics, uh, which we also did in-house. Um, so, you know, I was really, um, it was a great time. I think it was, um, I learned a ton and a lot, a lot of trial and error, you know, mistakes I would, I would, uh, would not make again, you know, um, but um, you know, and then about after 12 years there, um, my time 
my time was up. Let me put it that way. Um, I can tell you about that and, and kind of what that was all about. Yeah. And um, I know I've just been talking a lot, so I don't know if you have any questions for me. <laughs> well, I, me I, I do. We can come back to this. So I, actually what stuck in my head was this tremendous number, of this, this high turnover number um, of over 100%. And, and so the first question is, in the call center environment, what would be the norm? Because maybe, so, maybe the norm is 150% and you guys are actually right. pretty, doing pretty well. But what, You're right. That's a good question. So what would the norm hmm. be? Because that sounds like a, just a horrific amount to manage for turnover. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, call center turnover is traditionally high. I just don't think it's that high. Yeah. Um, and so, and there were a number of factors involved in that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's usually it's often work that doesn't pay that well, and it's it's tedious. Um, it it can be low skill work, and but you know we we required people. As, first of all, they had to know musical instruments because we were selling musical instruments. Sure. Um, and so they they had to have some technical knowledge, and we did a lot of training for them. Okay. But go ahead. Uh, well, what comes to mind is, is, you know, you mentioned that that was high, which, and we didn't go into, okay, so what was, what did it look like after you took the call center over? Like, what was your, what was the best turnover, lowest turnover rate you had? And then I would go even further because from there you moved into uh, kind of the operations and a little bit broader role, whereas you described it, you, 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 you hired, you built teams. And I'm assuming, I mean, if, to go from 40 to 150 million, uh, you hired talent and put together teams that stuck around and were effective. Right. And, right. and so the reason that I, th I think that's, that's amazing and it's key right now, because the one thing I hear time and again from uh, business owners that I'm talking to in the marketplace is attracting and retaining the right talent is one of the, is just a huge challenge. And it's, and it's, mm -hmm. it's not industry specific right now. It, it's, it's everything mm -hmm. from accountants to car dealerships, to, you know, lawn care and, and food service. And so, so if you would kind of um, share what you, share your secret sauce, what are the things, what are the, what do you use or what did you use uh, to, uh, to build effective teams that, uh, that like to work together, that like to stick around, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I don't know that, Turn, you know, to address, there were multiple questions in there, you know, the turnover or implied questions. One was, you know, the turnover before and after. I don't know the exact number, but it was a lot lower. Okay. And that, you know, in general, the trend was from this high turnover, low morale to, hey, this is a, this is a good place to work. And the best people, yeah, I'm thinking throughout the organization, but in the call center in particular, where the turnover was historically highest the best people stayed long term some of them are still there you know after 12 years or so on um and recruited their friends and so it became it became more like a like a family and so how did we get there well you know the first thing that we did a lot of this a lot of the experimental work was in the call center itself because because that is where the turnover was. And I, I always had a, I'm very customer centric. And to me, 
two things. First of all, I, I really believe that uh, it starts at home, like how you treat your employees is a reflection of who you are. And if you treat your employees well, that they will, they will treat your customers well. And, you know, anything that we would ask our employees to do on behalf of our customers, we, we also want to do on behalf of our employees. So, you know, that's being, being honest, being direct, being fair, all those kinds of communicating proactively. And so I started out with a set of principles, things that I believed in. We re rewrote the call center mission statement. We came up with core values and I spoke to the people in the call center. Uh, the, the previous guy had a very different leadership style. He had been at AT&T for 30 years in a giant call center, um, probably multiple call centers. And he was, he, he was, uh, he presented well and seemed to have a lot of experience and, and called himself a servant leader. And we were impressed by his interview, but when it came to, um, actually managing the team, he didn't, he didn't have good rapport with the team and he didn't really respect his employees mm -hmm. and they didn't respect him. And he ran things with an iron fist and it was kind of arbitrary. So, um, so this is kind of what they were used to and that's not who I am. So, you know, a lot of it was being myself and it's not, you know, here's one thing we did. We, we did like, like, a I would say listening to her, but that, you know, that, that's something that, you know, they do in bigger corporations. What, what we actually did was take the, the CSRs out to lunch, call center reps out to lunch in groups of six. And we just talked to them. This was, you know, this was after the transition. What's, what's working for you? What isn't working for you? What, what do you like? What don't you like? What bothers you? How do you feel? Like all that, just all lay it out on the table, like no judgment, no, no consequences. In fact, we, we really want you to tell us the truth because that's how we're going to learn. And I, you know, so we had to create a safe enough environment for that to happen. And I think part of that is interrelational. That's just how you are in relationship to other people. You know, I'm the kind of person who, you know, says, hello, I, I like to talk to people. I like to, you know, I would visit the call center on a regular basis and get to know people, you know, walk around it's like I don't know this person you know on their break I'm, I don't want to interfere with their work or or make them feel uncomfortable but just get to know them and I, I think that carried over into you know creating a, a space of safety where they could tell us what's working and what, what isn't working and from there you know we uh, rearranged things uh, we made a lot of changes in terms of how we structured the team um, the types of people that we promoted into leadership, we, we also, like I mentioned, the, the metrics, the call center metrics. So we, we changed those around. We tried to tweak them to emphasize both productivity and service. And, you know, service is more qualitative. It's, it's hard to do that quantitatively, but we, you know, we had a weighted, um, there were like eight parts and it was weighted and, and certain things served as a proxy for, for service, like, you know, the number of calls that you would take and things like that, um, rather than wait, because it was, a, this is getting way into the, the weeds here, <laughs> I think, but um, let me, let me pull back a little bit. It, it, you know, it was a ring all call center. So basically, you know, the first one who grabs it, gets the okay. call, 
you know, and so there's different ways to set up the call, uh, you know, the, the system, but that's how we had it set up. So, you know, that really, um, anybody who's really motivated gets a lot more calls that way. And that shows up in the numbers. So we, we, we did different experiments, like with what works the best in terms of motivating the behavior that we want to see. And that I think ended up still being the best one, although we started routing calls later and so forth. But all this to say, um, we started out with that. I think I also hired unconventional people often. Mm. I did my own hiring. I didn't I didn't go through recruiters most of the time. I mean, I tried recruiters and, and honestly I didn't have good luck with recruiters. It seemed very you know, kind of like a, a realtor, a busy realtor who wants to show you three houses and tell you to pick one. And it's like, well, you know, I'm going to live in this house for a long time. I, I need to see like 30 houses. And you know, do you have the patience for that? You know, and when we looked for a house, my wife and I here, and I would, we did have a realtor like that. She's amazing. And I would recommend her to anybody. But same deal. So like it takes longer to hire directly. Mm-hmm. You, you know, to, to vet all the candidates and do all the interviews yourself, but I had much better results. And I also was looking for people who were a cultural fit. And, and a lot of that, quite honestly, at the time was instinct. I wasn't using tools. I wasn't using like the people analyzer they have in EOS. We've got a, you know, chart of values versus your candidates. But um I would look more for not necessarily has this person managed a digital marketing team before, but do they have the set of skills and characteristics to do it? You know, in this case, it was primarily production. So they had to be sharp. They had to be deadline driven. They had to be um, consistent, motivated. I don't really care if they've done this particular job before. Do they have those skills? And then from a relationship standpoint, do I think that I will work constructively with them and vice versa. And do I think that they will um, mesh with the team? And so those were some of the guiding principles in terms of building teams. And then, you know, we had, we met with each other. We talked a lot. We met regularly. So that, that is one thing that we did that aligns with the frameworks that you and I are, are so familiar with is that, you know, we had our weekly one on we had our weekly leadership meetings and they weren't structured according to a framework or a you know, business operating system, but, but they, they served the same purpose. And, you know, and that human, there was always a human connection piece. We did a lot of social stuff too, to just build relationship outside of the office mm-hmm. and a lot of listening, I think. And, you know, a lot of listening first um, and tailoring, you know, tailoring a career plan for each person, depending on what their ambition was. You know, a lot of times you get a young person who was ambitious and this was maybe their first job or their second job. And they didn't know if they wanted to be here long term. And they certainly weren't going to stay in the position their entry level position long term, sure. but always kind of looking ahead for career paths. And I, I, I alluded to that earlier, but but we did a lot of hiring from within, and 
the fact that we were growing and that we made space and and were intentional about giving our own employees opportunities for career growth within the company, I think um, helped us grow and helped us keep our best people. And, you know, so we were willing and, and we were also willing to train them and coach them so that, you know, that was part of the, the deal. Sure. 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 It, so it's interesting. Um, you know, as you were describing all that, I heard things like, um, um, just the measurables, right? The, 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 the metrics they're responsible for and and just make clarifying those, which, you know, of course, you, know, you mentioned the framework that we both use system and soul. So, when you touched on uh, the scoreboard, um, as you talked about just, re- you know, this career path and wh- where they can go within the company, it kind of ties into that, that vision. Like the company has to be going someplace for them to, to even go on board with right. that. So, so you did some vision work, you were involved in the hiring. And as you're, as you're doing that, from what I understand, you were very uh, aware of who you were bringing in and protecting the culture that you developed. So there was this culture piece. And so and I just think it's, um, I don't know if ironic is right. Yeah, probably ironic or or maybe a precursor to what you're doing now and why um, you'll be so yeah. effective. Right? Like you were doing all these things instinctively um, that, that you now have a framework and a name for to provide your clients. Right, right, exactly. And I appreciate you recognizing that and 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 i feel um i'm flattered to to hear you say that um i do think that a lot of it was instinctual and and you know kind of trial and error and you know i i talked about things seeming random you know things can seem random at the moment and then you look back in retrospect and it all makes sense you can see like how the pieces connect and how this one thing led to another and what seemed what seemed or felt random at the time was no accident mm-hmm. but but it was primarily instinct and, and i you know I, when so when i discovered some of these frameworks like when i discovered eos i'm like oh okay like they call that an integrator yeah that, that's the role that i've been playing you know for basically 12 years and all these things i'm like yep 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 that's me and and I think there's, you know, there's subtleties and, um, I, you know, we could, we could get off on some of the details. Like, you know, I like predictive successes, you know, they've got different types of operators. They've got your operator, the process, process person, the synergist, uh, I think I'm more, or, uh, you know, or the synthesis, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm more of that, you know, but, but you play different roles at different times, you know, in the, in the organization's evolution and i think also vis-a-vis different departments and opportunities and sometimes you got to be the, the process person and then you kind of graduate from that and you move on to something else but all that to say is that some of these frameworks um were really enlightening to me when i discovered them I'm like oh i wish i had this before uh things would have gone a lot quicker probably if i had them but it not only, but that's also why they resonated with it. Cause like I've done this before and this resonates with what my own experience and like, oh, there's a name for that, you know? And that's the funny thing too. I, I joke a lot with people who were, who, you know, I've been in technology my whole career since like 30, for 30 years. Um, and that kind of seemed accidental. Uh, but, you know, 
back then, like even in the early 2000s in e-commerce, a lot of this stuff, like just you just kind of did it yourself or, or there wasn't a tool for that yet. Or there was a tool maybe that was being developed, but um, it wasn't mature yet. So you kind of did it yourself. It maybe didn't even have mm-hmm. a name, but, you, you know, um, even just the whole evolution of social media, you know, and and engagement. Like, What's an engagement worth, you know? What is it, you know, like monetizing social yeah. media? Like, what, why are we going to do that? Like, how, you know, how are you going to, how does that, pay, you know, like this whole idea of like, well, a distributed attribution model where, you know, engagements count for something. It's not a direct sale, but it could lead to a sale. Like, and, you know, oh, okay. You know, like that, I could, you could see that evolving in real time. It's like, I know this is worth something, but I can't yet quantify it. And, and then, you know, after some time, you know, the industry moves fast and, and there's a lot of smart people thinking about this kind of stuff and these models develop, you know, like, oh, um, you know, like from engagement to, you know, whatever, you know, to, to the, the whole funnel idea, but, but like, you know, in the digital marketing concept, uh, I'm sorry, in, in the digital marketing context, just the, the technical details and the tactics used, you know, to bring somebody through that funnel and how to, and how to um, measure that and count it um, against the sale. Yeah. 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 And and, yeah, that whole digital marketing, there's, there's so many nuances to it. Um, And, and it, you know, where we're at now, just kind of take it for granted. The metrics are pretty easy because there's, there's some data now. Right. And, and, and right. a lot of a number of companies out there that can help you with it, but it, of course, I hadn't never really, never really thought back to those of you that were in the in that space twenty years ago. Like there was no, there was no like, is this working? I don't know. Let's throw some more spaghetti at the wall. Right. <laughs> well, that's you know that was one of the the great blessings for me. I mentioned the founder CEO earlier, and brilliant guy and had his background in math and statistics as an undergrad and then was getting his PhD at the University of Chicago and he dropped out of that program to start this company so he he was sort of an academic but not only that um really great with with numbers and and, and statistical modeling predictive modeling and you know in e-commerce you're swimming in data you've got tons of data to work with we had you know an events table with billions of rows in it. Sure. And so, and of course, we barely scratched the surface, but with all of that data, he had a playground, you know, to keep him occupied for the rest of his life. But, but he really, one of my mandates from him was we need to build a data-driven culture. And I'm like, okay, I'm on board with that. And, but that means you had to, you had to teach people, you had to train them like scientific method. And and so there's the concepts themselves and then there's the technical implementation of that. You know, like, at, you know, how do you do it? A-B testing and multivariate testing. How do you set up a legitimate test? You know, p-values, p power tests, all this kind of stuff, you know, that data scientists understand well. But um, not only that, it's behavioral because you've got, let's say, you know, typical example would be your designer, you know, your designer has, we're redoing the website. So every, we tested everything, you know, and that was, 
one of our strengths, one of our competitive advantages. And, you know, it's amazing. You find out, for example, that um, you change the color of a button and you get an 11% lift, you know, by changing the color of a button. And so little things and surprisingly surprising things can have a huge impact. And that's the beauty of, you know, digital is like you can test everything if if you're you don't want to test everything but you you can and but you have to set up the test right you know because you can get you can do that wrong and be misled very sure. easily um but the you know the designer is going to say well this is the image i have this is what i think the website should look like I'm like okay that's great we're going to put it to test so what you have to do is give me two or three other versions it's like, well, no, but I, this is the one, this is what it should be. It's like, okay. And then, you know, the risk there is that, that he or she may give you three crappy versions because, you know, this is the one they want to win, yeah. you know, and, and you have to kind of overcome that. Say, no, no, so-and-so like the idea, don't you, I, I know this is what you like and you may be right. And I love what you're doing. It's beautiful, but we're going to test and see what actually works the best. And you, you know, so there's education. And then there's persuasion. And then there's also hiring for that. You know, like if somebody is so wedded to their own stuff that they can't bear to face the results of a test in which their, their you know, beautiful design lost, it's not the right person. They're, the they're right going to struggle in that particular role. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. the market is going to say, a lot of the time, they're going to say, nope, we don't like that one. Come on, give us a different idea. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. So you're there for 12 years. Company company grows. We get to one 150, and and then you've and you've since left the company, and now are mm-hmm. a fractional CEO, executive coach, system and soul business coach. So just uh, the past three years, what's um, how's it been? Uh, and of of those roles, what, like executive coach, what exactly are coach to executive CEOs? I think is actually what you said. What, what's that look like? Uh, just just a real high overview. Um, what, when does the yeah. CEO know that he needs to talk to Mark as a coach? Not soon enough. <laughs> I I I I you know I don't know the first client. It's funny the first client uh, I ever had was somebody who used to work for me in the call center. And he said, you know, I admired your leadership experience from afar or your leadership, you know, style from afar. I'm like, wow. You know, it's not that big of a company. Um, and, and he had started his own uh, design agency and he's doing pretty well, small company. And he, he's looking for a coach. And so he reached out to me. And at that time, I, a number of people told me, you know, you should be a coach. Um, you'd be a good coach. You already do a lot of coaching. I'm like, ah, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, you know, in my mind, it's like I want to be in the game. Like, I want to be a player, not coaches on the sidelines. I want to be in the game, and or maybe a player coach, you know. And but I think I had a misconception about what coaching was really about. Number one, and number two, I found out that I really enjoy it. It's very fulfilling for me. So in, in, you know, this is, so I won't use this person as an example, you know, but, but just in general, um, in general, it's, it means like meeting with a 
person, you know, once, once a week, I mean, it can, it can vary, but usually once a week for 75 minutes and I'll put together uh, a custom plan, you know, on a quarterly basis for what we're looking to accomplish based on, you know, what I, what I hear and where they're at. So meeting them where they're at and, you know, it, it could be, it's often a combination of leadership skills or, you know, how, you know, how do I, I've got this difficult conversation I need to have, you know, can you help me with that? Or uh, it could be strategic. It could be strategic planning, you know, for, for sales or for operations, you know, for structuring, structuring the organization, you know? Um, but I, I usually, I start with the, like with anything that uh, start with the big picture, the long-term vision, like, where do you want to go? I know you're young, you're, 35 or 36, you you know, it's hard to think at that stage where you want to be when you're 65 or 70, let alone 40, you know, um, let alone probably, you know, six, you know, uh, six months from now, but, but try and picture where you want to be in five years, let's say, uh, you know, for yourself, not just the business, but for yourself, like, what are your goals, your life goals? What are your what do you want out of this business? You know, do you see this as being the end all and the be all, or do you, um, do you have other things you want to do after this? And once we get a sense of what they really want to do, that gives me, you know, a starting point, a framework, a time frame, and then kind of work backwards from there. Okay. Where are you at now? How do we get from here to there? Um, road mapping. And then, you know, of course, like with any, any goals or initiatives, breaking them down into small pieces, I think that quite honestly, so Todd, like the reason, the reason I left that company after 12 years, because they did not have a why. They did not have mm. a why. You know, like yeah. Simon Sinek, um, start with why. And I'm actually reading that book. So it's, it's, it's relative rereading it. It's, it's fresh in my mind, but I find that to be very powerful. And without that, at some point, you peter out or you lose focus or you drift, you know, or you dissipate. And that's kind of what happened for me at this company. It's like, I'm all like, what's next? What's next? I'm ready to go. Let's learn. I like to learn. I'm driven. I'm motivated to learn and grow. And my team was motivated to learn and grow. And my team was motivated. Let's be the best. We're number three or number four. Let's get to number three or number two. And, you know, the owners are like, eh, you know, we're, we're good. We're pretty good as is, you know, and there are lots of reasons I don't need to get into all the details, but, you know, where we didn't have the resources. I did a ton of customer research, talking to customers, like I, I use a framework for that jobs to be done theory. And, and the whole point of that framework is to find out why are they buying mm -hmm. from you? And in that it, it yields all sorts of information, innovation opportunities, uh, ways that you can grow and optimize and deliver a better customer experience i can't i had a huge list of that stuff and, and they're like yeah that's that's great i appreciate that but i wasn't going to get any uh, investment any resources to work on that all the resources were going somewhere else you know for something that actually you know it was it was like a uh a, a pet project uh, you know I, I don't even to get into it but the point was i realized look there's no why here and and I need a why and 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 so that is something I'm really passionate about we talked about like purpose you know purpose driven being purpose driven and having a purpose and I think a lot of people believe it's you know you have to have a social impact you have to be a, a 
a social enterprise to, to have a purpose. It's like, no, not really. You don't have to change the world. You don't have to be on a mission from God, so to speak, to have a purpose. There's, there's, there's all kinds of ways to have a purpose, even just, you know, having a great culture, you know, where people love to come to work every day and they believe in what they're doing and quality matter, excellence matters to them and being the best, like that's purpose enough. And you're, you know, for your employees and hopefully for your customers and hopefully that, you know, for the lives, those touch, those people touch, you're making the world, you know, incrementally better by what you do, but you have to have something like that, I think. And that's why I really like, why I'm drawn to coaching. You know, I've, I've been in the chair, so to speak, for so long, and I've been doing the fractional work too. And, you know, in, as a fractional COO, depending on who your clients are, and at first you start out with, with, you know, the clients that you can get, and sometimes they're smaller than your ideal target. So you kind of do whatever they need you to do. It could be QuickBooks. It could be, payroll, it could be all kinds of things that aren't really the best use of your time project management type stuff. But um, I kind of want to get out of that chair and, and this is the, the, the coaching, the, the coaching piece. It's not that I don't want to it's not that I don't want to be in that chair. I think I'll still learn a lot and I enjoy that's like the player role. I enjoy being in, in that role. But the coaching role it gives me the opportunity to reach yep. more people. And you know and at a higher level, and, and I, quite frankly, I think make a bigger impact. You know, like it packs a, a bigger wall up, I think, you know, to be working with a leadership team within a structured framework that takes into account not only the operational stuff that, you know, is all the best practices that we know and love, but the cultural piece that is really essential and and makes all the difference and then having that purpose piece the why piece which not everybody does still far too few businesses really get that and get the yeah. importance of it. so as you've shared that as i've gotten to know you a little bit better in the last 40 minutes um I, it's it's clear that you've been uniquely positioned and gifted uh just taken on a, on a journey that you are uh, very qualified. It's so appropriate that you've stepped into this role as a coach, I think. And, and it's just, it's really cool that you can take all that and you've got a spot where you're like, here I am. And now I can, I can have impact on, on a really huge level as you work with, uh, instead of one company, multiple companies and the hundreds, maybe thousands of employees that all these companies have. I mean, that the ripple effect of what you do now, that impact is, uh, virtually infinite. So, uh, that's awesome. So why, um, so last, last big thing, why system and soul? There, there are a number of operating systems, operating frameworks out there. And I, you, you actually answered it fairly well a moment ago, but I'm going to just have you articulate that out. So you landed on, you're doing fractional CEO work, executive coaching, and then decided you wanted to do something with an operations system so how did you end up choosing the system and soul framework yeah well i had done work with eos as an integrator as i mentioned and it's a great system and it's certainly better than no system at all um but i could see it you know a little bit rigid in, at places and um and just from meeting people in the community the, the eos community 
um, hearing about how people would outgrow it after you know two three years. I'm like that makes sense because it, it is static and and anyway, um, at some point you know through networking and I don't remember how I met Chris White and then I met Benj and we started talking and the difference there were there were a few key differences. Now these are differences that. I think all of us in the system and soul community are aware of, and anybody who's familiar with system and soul has probably heard these things before, but what made a difference for me was a, it's mm -hmm. flexible. You know, you don't, you can change it. You know, you don't have to do the meeting exactly by the book or whatever, if you don't want to, it's open source, which I love. Um, and that's kind of a vague term, but I think what's real about that is, it's going to continue to evolve. And I see that commitment already. I mean, even in the few months that I've been part of the community, I've seen, you know, guys are rolling out with new tools and, and changes and that's, so it's gonna, it's gonna grow, you know, with you and your business. It's not going to remain static. And um, I think the biggest piece of all is the culture piece, the, the, the part that, Culture needs to be operationalized. This is why it's an operations concern. You know, it doesn't just happen by itself. I mean, culture does happen by itself, but that's accidental culture. And if, but, you know, if you want to cultivate the kind of culture, kind of workplace that you want to work in and that is going to attract and retain the best employees, you have to engineer that. And so what does it mean to have core values and how do you, how do you cultivate them? Like you can think of it like gardening. It can be an organic metaphor or it can be a machine metaphor, but either way you have to, you know, take these abstract concepts and, and realize them in the material world and, and, and with human beings and with systems and with the entire environment that you're working in. And um, that's something that, system and soul addresses and you know in in all its nuance and complexity and i and i expect the framework to continue to evolve because that is a very rich and deep area of exploration but it, it can absolutely be um be designed or, or, or engineered and that's something that um really means something to me because you know like having meaningful work and 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 being you know, going to work in a place that you love is, is uh, I think, what everybody wants and what everybody needs if they want their business to really grow. Cool, cool, cool. Love, love your heart um, for, for the people and for the humanity in business. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank um, you. Before we go, uh, Mark, if you would share one important or impactful question that our listeners should be asking. Yeah. That is, what is your purpose? That is not an easy question to answer. I think it takes a lot of time and exploration and probably iteration. You know, it's going to evolve, but I think it's really important to know what is, what is your purpose? And maybe more specifically, how does that purpose translate to your day-to-day -day life? You know, especially your work, because that's the, area that we're involved in, but really yeah. everything that you do. 
Cool. Love that. Mark, for, for listeners that would love to engage more with you, uh, maybe investigate what it's like to work with you or even just learn more about you, um, where's the best place for our listeners to find you? Thanks. Uh, LinkedIn, best place. Um, so you'll find me, I don't know if you're posting a link, but uh, or you can come to my website. So my the name of my business is Vivid Path uh, and the URL is a long one. It's vividpathconsulting.com it's it's too long but uh until i come up with a better name that's that's what it is and so it's just my first name mark dot scrementi at vivid path cool. Consulting. and i will i'll just add scrementi is s-c-r-i-m-e-n-t-i yes. and i chuckle as i say <laughs> that uh listeners I, I sent mark an email earlier today and uh misspelled his last name so just wanted to make sure you have that right Mark, thanks, yes, thanks thank so you. much for, for being on. Uh, this has been a, a pleasure. Great to get to know you better. Really, really appreciate your time and uh, and what you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, of course. You too. Listeners, thank you so much. We wouldn't be here if you weren't here. So thank you. I am grateful for the gift of your time. I appreciate you being here. Um, whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has placed on your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace to you. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble. Stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.